Chapter thirty six of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six The Road is Not So Clear. It shocked Sylvia that Molly's death would make so little difference. After one sober evening with the stunning words fresh before their eyes, the three friends quickly returned to their ordinary routine of life. It was not that they did not care, she reflected. She did care. She had cried and cried at the thought of that quivering, vital spirit broken by the inert, crushing mass of steel. She could not bring herself to think of the soft body, mangled, bloody. Austin cared, too. She was sure of it. But when they had expressed their pity, what more could they do? The cable statement was so bald, they hardly could believe it. They failed altogether to realize what it meant. They had no details on which to base any commentary. She who had lived so intensely was dead. They were sorry for her. That was all. As an apology for their seeming callousness, they reiterated Aunt Victoria's dictum. We can know nothing about it until Felix comes. Let us hold our minds in suspense until we know what to think. That Morrison would be in Paris soon, none of them doubted. Indeed, they united in insisting on the number of natural, oh, perfectly natural, reasons for his coming. He had always spent a part of every winter there, had in fact a tiny apartment on the Rue Saint-Honoré, which dated from his bachelor life, and now he had a double reason for coming, since much of Molly's fortune chanced to be in French bonds. Her father had been, among other things, American agent for the Comptoir National de Comptes, and he had taken advantage of his unusual opportunities for acquiring solid French and remunerative Algerian securities. Page had said at once that Morrison would need to go through a good many formalities under the French laws. So pending fuller information, they did not discuss the tragedy. Their lives ran on, and Molly, dead, was in their minds almost as little as Molly, living but absent, had been. It was only two months before Felix Morrison arrived in Paris. They had expected him. They had spoken of the chance of his arrival on this or that day. Sylvia had rehearsed all the possible forms of self-possession for their first meeting, but on the rainy February afternoon when she came in from representing Aunt Victoria at a reception and saw him sitting by the fire, her heart sank down and stopped for an instant, and when it went on beating, she could hear no sound but the drumming of her pulse. The back of his chair was towards her. All she could see as she stood for a moment in the doorway was his head, the thick, graying, dark hair, and one long-fingered, sensitive, beautiful hand lying on the arm of the chair. At the sight, she felt in her own palm the soft firmness of those fingers as palpably as ever she had in reality the instant's pause before aunt victoria saw her standing there gave her back her self-control when mrs marshall smith turned and gravely held out her hand sylvia came forward with a sober self-possession the man turned too sprang up with an exclamation apparently of surprise miss marshall you here and extended his hand. Sylvia, searching his face earnestly, found it so worn 
saw it in such dark traces of suffering and sorrow that the quick tears of sympathy stood in her eyes her dread of the meeting a morbid dread that had in it an acknowledged element of horror vanished before that moment she had seen only molly's face as it had looked the day of their desperate talk white and despairing and resolutely bent over the steering wheel she had not been able to imagine felix's face at all had instinctively put it out of her mind but as she looked into it now her fear of it disappeared it was the fine sensitive face of a fine sensitive man who had known a great shock what had she feared she would see there he was still holding her hand very much affected at seeing her evidently still in a super-sensitive condition when everything affected him strongly she loved you she admired you so he said his wonderful voice wavering and uncertain sylvia's tears fell openly at this she sat down on a low stool near her aunt's knees i can't believe it i haven't been able to believe it she told him M molly was she was more alive than anybody i ever saw if you had seen her that morning he told them both like a flame of vitality almost frightening so vivid she waved good-bye and then that was not enough she got out of the car and ran back up the hotel step to say good-bye for just those few moments and was off such youth such youth in all her sylvia cried out oh no no it's too dreadful she felt the horror sweep down on her again but now it did not bear felix's face among its baneful images he stood there shocked stricken but utterly bewildered utterly ignorant for the moment in her relief she had called his ignorance utter innocence they did not see him again for many days and when he came very briefly speaking of business technicalities which absorbed him he was noticeably absent and careworn he looked much older the gray in his thick hair had increased he looked very beautiful and austere to sylvia they exchanged no more than the salutations of arrival and farewell then one day as she and aunt victoria and austin page strolled down the long gallery of the louvre they came upon him looking at the ribera entombment he joined them walking with them through the salon carré and out to the winged victory calling sylvia's attention to the botticelli frescoes beyond on the landing it's the first time i've been here he told them his only allusion to what lay back of him it is like coming back to true friends blessed be all true friends he shook hands with them and went away down the great stairway a splendid figure of dignity and grace after this he came once and again to the apartment of the rue de presbourg generally it would appear to use the piano he had none in his own tiny pied -a terre and he missed it sylvia immensely liked his continuing to cling for a time to the simple arrangements of his frugal bachelor days he could now of course have bought a thousand pianos they understood how he would miss his music and stole in quietly when upon opening the door tojiko told them that mr morrison had come in and they heard from the salon his delicately firm touch on the keys sometimes they listened from their rooms sometimes the two women took possession 
of the little octagonal room off the salon all white panelling and gilt chairs and listen there sometimes as the weeks went on and especially early spring began to envelop paris in a haze of sunshine and budding leaves they stepped out to listen on the wrought-iron balcony which looked down the long shining vista of the tree-framed avenue for the most part he played bach grave courageous formal great-hearted music sometimes he went away with no more than a nod and a smile to them but more and more when he had finished he came out where they were and stood or sat to exchange brief impressions on the enchanting season or on some social or aesthetic treat which sedan had been enjoying austin page was frequently with them as in the earlier part of the winter and it was finally he himself who one day took the step of asking morrison if he would not go with them to the louvre no one could appreciate more than miss marshall what has always been such a delight to us all they went and not only once that was the beginning of another phase a period when as he began to take up life again he turned to his old friends to help him do it he saw almost no one else certainly no one else there for he was sure to disappear upon the arrival of a caller or the announcement of an expedition in which other people were included but he returned again and again to the louvre with them his theory of galleries necessitating frequent visits nothing could be more idiotic he held than to try to see on one occasion all or even half or even a tenth part of a great collection of works of art it is exactly as reasonable he contended as to read through on the same day every poem in a great anthology who could have anything but nausea for poetry after such a gorge and they must hate pictures or else be literally blind to them the people who look at five hundred in a morning if i had looked at every picture in the long gallery in one walk through it i should thrust my cane through the titian francis first itself when i came to the salon carré so he took them to see only a few five or six carefully selected things there was one wonderful day when he showed them nothing but the da vinci saint anne and the venus of milos comparing the dissimilar beauty of those two divine faces so vitally that sylvia for days afterwards when she closed her eyes and saw them felt that she looked on two living women she told them this and which one do you see most he asked her oh the saint anne she told him he seemed dissatisfied but she did not venture to ask him why they lived in an atmosphere where omissions were vital sylvia often wondered in those days if there ever had been a situation so precariously balanced which continued to hang poised and stable minute after minute hour after hour day after day there were moments when her head was swimming with moral dizziness she wondered if such moments ever came to the two quiet self-controlled men who came and went with cordial easy friendliness in and out of the apartment on the rue de Prégborg. they gave no sign of it they gave no sign of anything beyond the most achieved appearance of a natural desire to be obliging and indulgent to the niece of an old friend this appearance was kept up with such unflagging perseverance that it almost seemed consciously concerted between them 
they so elaborately avoided the slightest appearance of rivalry that their good taste like a cloth thrown over an unknown object inevitably excited curiosity as to what was concealed beneath it and sylvia was not to be outdone she turned her own eyes away from it as sedulously as they she never let a conscious thought dwell on it and like all other repressed and strangled currents of thought it grew swollen and restive filling her subconsciousness with monstrous unformulated speculations she was extremely absorbed in the luxury the amenity the smooth working perfection of the life about her she consciously concentrated all her faculties on her prodigious opportunity for aesthetic growth for appreciation of the fine and marvelous things about her she let go the last scruple which had held her back from accepting from aunt victoria the shower of beautiful things to wear which that connoisseur in wearing apparel delighted to bestow upon an object so deserving she gave a brilliant outward effect of enjoying life as it came which was as impersonal as that of the two men who looked at her so frequently and this effect went as deep as her will-power had command but beneath unacknowledged waves beating on the shore of her life and roughly irresistibly rudely fashioning it rolled a groundswell of imperious questionings was felix perfect manner of impersonal interest solely due to the delicacy of his situation did he feel now that he was as rich as austin but on the other hand why did he come now and put himself in a situation which required the utmost efforts for unconsciousness on everybody's part if not because austin's being there had meant he dared not wait and austin's change of manner since the arrival of the other man the film of ceremony which had slid imperceptibly over the tender friendliness of his manner did that mean that he would not take advantage of morrison's temporarily tied hands but with a scrupulousness of all his own would wait until the race was even and they stood foot to foot on the same level or had he noticed at once with those formidably clear eyes of his some shade of her manner to felix which he had not been able to command and was he waiting for some move from her and how could she move until she had some sign from felix and how could he give a sign there was nothing to do but to wait to hope that the thin eyes which now bent perilously under the pleasant ceremonies of their life in common would hold them until even the wildest upleaping wave of that tossing tide never went beyond the blank wall which came after the until there were other moments when all that surge swung back and forth to the rhythm of the poisoned recollection of her unacknowledged humiliation in lydford when inflamed with determination to avoid another such blow in the face sylvia almost consciously asked herself self-contemptuously who am i an obscure poverty-stricken music-teacher out of the west to fancy that i have but to choose between two such men two such fortunes but against this counted strongly the constantly recurring revelations of the obscure pasts of many of the women whom she met during those days women who were now shining acknowledged firsts in the procession of success the serene 
stately much admired princess de chevreuil had been a miss summers from cleveland ohio and she had come to paris first as a governess the beautiful mrs william winterton perth now aunt victoria's favorite friend who entertained lesser royalty and greater men of letters with equal quiet dignity had in her youth so she chanced casually one day to mention known what it was to be thrifty about car fares there was nothing intrinsically impossible in any of the glittering vistas down which sylvia's quick eye cast involuntary glances but inevitably when the heaving dark tide rose as high as this there came a swift and deadly ebbing away of it all and into sylvia's consciousness always it seemed to her with the most entire irrelevance there flared up the picture of molly as she had seen her last shimmering like a jewel in her white veil then the other picture the overturned car the golden head bruised and bloody and forever stilled and always always beyond that the gaunt monstrous possibility too awful ever to be put into words too impossible for credence from that shapeless looming black mass sylvia fled away actually and physically springing to her feet wherever she was entering another room taking up some other occupation just once she had the faintest sign from beyond the wall that she was not alone in her fear of this horror she was sitting near austin page at a tea one of the frequent small richly chosen assemblages which mrs marshall smith gathered about her part of the ensuing chatter on one of these occasions turned as modern chatter frequently does on automobiles the husband of mrs william winterton perth was an expert on such matters having for some years diverted by an interest in mechanics the immense enforced leisure of a transplanted male american he was talking incessantly that day of the wonderful improvement in steering mechanism the last few years had brought about i tell you what miss marshall he insisted as though she had disputed the point with him i tell you what there used to be some excuse for piling your car up by the side of the road but nowadays anyone who doesn't keep in the road and right side up must be just plain looking for a chance to use his car like a dose of cold poison for a moment sylvia could not conceive why she felt so sickening a thrust at her heart she turned her eyes from the speaker they fell on a man's hand on the arm of the chair next to hers it was austin's hand and it was shaking uncontrollably as she gazed at it fascinated he thrust it deep into his pocket she did not look at him in a moment he rose and crossed the room the husband of mrs william winterton perth asked for another petit four confessing his fondness for chocolate eclairs and embarked upon demountable rims End of chapter 36